You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny and I always keep it cute on the Instagram. So you're going to want to go and give me a follow over there. And if you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, then go and give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on Instagram. Or you can always join our private Facebook group. The link is in the description below. So today's guest has all the insider dishes to the Girardi, Erica Jane, Erica Chahoy, Erica Girardi, all of her names. He's He has all the tea on the case. He is the man on Twitter covering all of the latest and juicy breaking details from this scandal. Please welcome legal analyst and attorney Ronald Richards. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Couldn't be better. Awesome. So, I mean, I guess before we dive into all of the details of the cases and and this big Girardi scandal, I'm just curious what sparked your interest? Were you like a Housewives fan? Were you an Erica Jane music fan? And you were like, I need to dive into all this or or what piqued your interest into the Girardis? Well, I like to cover attorneys that are hard to expose initially and I've done it in the past with other attorneys that I've covered and basically I saw Girardi um, about to have a complete apocalypse from an illegal sense when there was a case in Chicago and all of a sudden the judge was asking where the settlement money was and the next thing I know he's retaining a criminal defense attorney I know so I immediately thought something was wrong and I thought something was wrong leading up to it. I started tracking him and said, there's not, something's not right with this guy. There's all these civil suits and judgments. And I realized that I, what I saw was an impending apocalypse, uh, you know, like a financial catastrophe of the highest order. So as an attorney here in Los Angeles, were you familiar with Tom Girardi and his reputation here in L.A.? Or was this totally was he someone new to your radar? No, no. uh, I knew who Tom Girardi was. And I knew that over the years, he's had a couple hiccups, different legal opinions written about him from different courts of appeal. But, you know, every good lawyer has uh, comes a time where they forget to do something or make a mistake or overreach. I mean, that to me, wasn't that significant. Um, I knew he, he, he was a hard charger um, and did a lot of schmoozing in the, in the bar circuit and, you know, public speaking circuit. But when you see multiple clients with multiple settlements, not getting money or getting payments on their settlements, then all of a sudden, you know, the sirens start going off and you realize that, Somehow he it slipped away from him, you know, the, the robbing Peter to pay Paul. So when did th- those red flags start popping up for you? Was it something that you recognized years ago and you were a little confused as to how he was able to get away with so much? Or was it really only through the popularity of the scandal that's unfolded over this past year that's really brought it to light for you? Well, no, it was before the scandal was brought to light because I I got word that there was a case in Chicago with Boeing and that there was an allegation that he wasn't paying settlements. And so I then did a deep dive on his civil litigation and saw all these judgments against him. And then I realized that there was no way a law firm can withstand all those judgments and not pay people in a federal court. So I immediately started calling him out that he was, you know, defrauding people. And um, I I felt comfortable at that point. And so what's your overall analysis of the case? How bad does it look from a legal standpoint? Is there a chance that he could potentially get away with this? Or is he possibly going to be facing some jail time? Well, uh, so your viewers are clear, Zach, there's five different cases, if you could believe it. There's a probate case, a disillusion case in the family law court. There's 
an involuntary bankruptcy against him personally with Erica, Jane, you know, their community property. There's a involuntary bankruptcy against a fictitious business named Girardi and Quiche, which doesn't even exist from a legal standpoint. It's a, it's a name only. And then there's a contempt hearing in Chicago that triggered a referral to the Department of Justice. And then there's a straightforward civil suit in Chicago. And then there's a couple other civil suits in the state court in LA. And there's one suit by Stillwell, a creditor against Erica Jane, still in Arizona in federal court. So there's a bunch of different legal actions uh, pending. So whether he'll face criminal charges is complicated because recently an LA Superior Court judge in the probate court uh, affirmed a temporary conservator, even though Girardi's taking care of himself at night and having dinner brought to him every day. Um, he said that he is, is entitled to a temporary conservator. So it's going to be hard to prosecute him if the state court judge myopically looks at the standard for a conservator or a temporary conservator. He's not going to be prosecuted if he doesn't know what his surroundings are from a legal standpoint. So to the extent, can he get away with it? He's not going to get away with it with assets. I mean, they're going to sell his house and he's going to be living in a much new environment, but he, he may get away with criminal exposure if this uh, sticks that he has some sort of dementia. And so, so currently his brother is the one that is his conservator. And so how long does that stand for? Is that something that is only temporary? I, I, I thought it was temporary, but is it contingent on him passing some additional medical analysis or how long can that stick for? Well, temporary in legal terms could still be a long time until it becomes a permanent conservator. But I mean, there's no there's no rush. I mean, the judge has ordered a temporary conservator and he has a conservator. So there's nothing, I mean, that's going to stick for a while. Um, and as far as the way to challenge it is someone's going to order some sort of medical exam by a neuropsychologist to see if there's any physical evidence of brain impairment. But right now the judge believed that it's not even a close call based on the court ordered psychiatrist exam. Not a close call, meaning he is definitely for the temporary to meet the, well, to meet the standards of a temporary to appoint a temporary conservator. Like the judge was didn't care that right before his world was going to come to an end, he miraculously had Alzheimer's disease. Right. And so yeah. even the so the, and we've heard that the the state the California state bar has even expressed some of their skepticism for his current medical status and I believe his own doctor is the one that is saying that he is showing signs of dementia and Alzheimer's correct this isn't an actual this isn't this is not someone from the state that has made that um that reviewed him Yes, it was a it was a court appointed a court appointed doctor for the LA Superior Court. He's not from the state, but I mean, he is a state licensed doctor. Okay, so then where? So explain to me, because now people are are saying that they don't believe that he actually has dementia or Alzheimer's, and they're thinking that this is just one of his tricks or ploys to kind of either delay the process or in. in possibly even get away without having to to face any criminal charges. Is that possible? Is Could he potentially be playing this up? Or is that why we need the actual physical examinations in order to determine whether or not these are valid? Well, um, the, the, state court, the state exam um, and the people's opinions of it, that was the problem, um, is that there was, there's no evidence of any counter exam. And so the judge wasn't going to get in the middle of it. He, he found it wasn't even a close call based on the doctor's report. So the state bar and others, other creditors pointed out that the timing is just too suspect, but, um, the, uh, the, but, but that's what happened. You know, um, I mean, I don't know 
how to explain it any differently. The, the fact is that people could think all they want and they legitimately believe this and they have a good reason to believe it. But unless there's some countervailing medical evidence, there's not much to do. Do you believe that he really has dementia and Alzheimer's? Just personally? No. No, I don't. I don't because um, the, the, the court-appointed attorney's report shows a guy that's living by himself and directing people from his office or whoever's left there, and he's basically hadn't really, hasn't really changed anything except sat at home. So, I mean... What, but really what I believe, I mean, I mean, it just, it, to me, like lawyers don't typically go from being a very savvy personal injury lawyer, mass tort lawyer, to then right when your hand gets caught in the cookie jar, you all of a sudden have complete mental dementia. To me, it, it doesn't make any sense that he, he would get so lucky that right when he got caught stealing all this money um, or over leveraging it all that all of a sudden God gave him the gift of dementia. Like to me, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Especially that, especially that quickly. Cause from my own experience with people that have dementia or Alzheimer's, it's typically something that happens over the course of time, not just within a matter of months, you go from like zero to a hundred, just in my own observation of what of, you know, family members that have had Alzheimer's and dementia. So, right. I think the biggest question a lot of people have, because there were a lot of complaints that were filed against him, and there were a lot of other clients that had come out years prior that were threatening to sue him, how he was able to get away for so long and how he wasn't disbarred sooner. I mean, even now, he technically wasn't disbarred, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was only he only lost his license because of the conservatorship. That's he had lost. Yeah, he was. He basically resigned because of the conservatorship, and the state bar was indicating in the probate hearing last week that they can't prosecute him when there's a conservatorship. So it's like administrative. If you tell the state bar, "Hey, I'm resigning because they're a conservator," they do it automatically. But how was he able to get away with all of this for so long is I think what so many people are wondering, like with the complaints that were filed against him pre-2020 and all of the um, clients that were threatening to sue him that didn't have money, that were um, reaching out to him for their settlements that they weren't receiving, how, like, is what's the formal process for having a lawyer disbarred? Does somebody have to file a formal complaint and there's an investigation, or how does it typically work for a lawyer to lose their license? Well, there, there has to be a complaint filed, then it, it goes to an investigator, and then the, the lawyer responds in writing to the different, um, you know, things, uh, that the investigator asked him. And a lot of times that just resolves the complaint because, you know, they get, they get both sides of the story. But in this case, um, the investigator uh, basically probably worked up the case and Girardi's office responded and it, this, it just sort of never went anywhere. But then if they do, you, you, get, you have like an informal conference with the trial department of the state bar and you try to resolve the case there, or um, if not, they file a accusation against you. So there really just wasn't any investigations that were actually done, or allegations that actually stuck. That's correct. Either they didn't investigate, or just none of the prior allegations were sticking. Or you know, if there's civil litigation, a lot of times they wait. So maybe the ones where there was a lawsuit involved. They said, forget it. We're not going to do anything unless unless the lawsuit's done. So from my understanding of everything, because he has the conservatorship, because he's claiming to have dementia and Alzheimer's, he's likely not going to be prosecuted if that doesn't end up getting overturned, the conservatorship. Um, he's likely not to be prosecuted. So worst case scenario, he'll likely just lose all of his assets, which is already in the process. And so he'll just be what left out of a job with, you know, without any of his, his wealth. And he likely living in like an assisted living home. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what's going to happen. 
Wow. So all of these, I mean, so all of the clients that are claiming that they didn't receive their their settlement money, once all of the assets have been liquidated and all the payouts have been made, they're, that they're basically just, they don't get to see any justice from this. As far as from a criminal standpoint? Right. Um, I mean, that's, that may be true. I mean, but if they get some of their claims paid, if the trustee recovers some fraudulent conveyances or preferences, that may be some justice for them. So what happens next now? So he has the conservatorship. He has the court appointed trustees. He's been evicted from his Pasadena estate. His assets are all being liquidated. What's the next step in the process of having a case against him? Is it really just liquidating everything and dividing all the assets? Um, the, uh, it's basically the trustee recovering firm assets like settlements and working into deals. And then the, the other portion of this is uh, they, they're going to start selling all of his personal assets. So in your personal opinion, what do you think, where do you think all the money went? Well, I think they have some of it in safety deposit boxes and other places. Oh, so you think the money hasn't actually been spent. It's possibly been hidden. So, well, I think some of it, I, I, I think someone's paying his bills. The money is coming from somewhere. How is he? Able- They're not living on the street. So how is he able to still afford when you do have a a court appointed trustee, do you get like some sort of stipend or do you get a cost of living um, like set allowance that you are entitled to or can access monthly since their assets are frozen right now? Um, Well, some of his assets are frozen. No, he can't get any money unless it's given to him, but he probably has money in other people's names and other people are pretending they're loaning it to him. I mean, I'm sure Mm. he just didn't do this on the fly. Uh, And he gets social security. They're not attaching that. So where do you think everything kind of came to a head to where we had so many clients and creditors that are now speaking out to it? I, I've heard um, Emily D. Baker and her series, her theory seems to be it was a bit of a Ponzi scheme. And when the court started getting backlogged and cash flow started getting halted with the pandemic, that that's really when he lost his hold on things. Is that Emily Baker who lives in Nashville? Um, I'm not sure where she lives. Actually, I know she's uh, she's a uh, oh. she's done some videos and some she's done she's spoken about the case a lot recently, and she has a a podcast and a YouTube channel that she's spoken out about the case on. Yeah, I mean, but I, she she she's never practiced civil law before. Um, you know, she I think was in the DA's office, then moved to Nashville. I, she's not ever been like a practicing attorney. I don't know what. Um, you, you know, what experience she has in, in analyzing stuff like this. But um, the, uh, if, the, if she said it was a Ponzi scheme, I don't think it was a, quote, Ponzi scheme. It was uh, the, the guy was leveraging everybody's cases that he had with him and borrowing against it. And instead of paying the people all at once, he was paying them in payments. And it looked I mean, like it's the a much cash more flow. complicated. He wasn't raising money from people. These were these people's money. It's it's a straight out theft. And he was so it was basically just he was getting he was using new money to pay back the former client settlements. And it looks like at some point he just lost control of it and it got out of hand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what that's what I that's what I think. Um and so do you think that's the what pandemic think it, do you think the pandemic really helped halt because all of the courts were on all the the trials and the proceedings were placed on hold do you think that that's what backlogged his cash flow and and that's where everyone stopped receiving these smaller payments because I believe the last one I remember was a million dollar settlement to one of his former clients back in January and that was the last one that was ever paid out and I believe there was still a balance of of 5 million um 
that was owed to that client and he made one one payment and then didn't make any further payments to any clients beyond that and it, it seemed like because there was no additional cash flow coming in as everything got closed down last year in 2020. Yeah, it, it's not that it all got closed down. It's just that defense firms in, stopped having an incentive to settle because there was no trials getting moved, you know, coming coming to fruition. So there was a slowdown from that perspective for personal injury firms. But what I've heard from my investigation is Girardi would actually pitch his own clients when they would have a lot of money in, from the settlement and say, hey, that's a lot of money. If you want, I could pay you, you know, X amount percentage on that money. It's much better than the bank. And that he would just use his clients as, uh, you know, compelled lenders for him and his firm. And so that's another thing he would do. So he would just be making, you know, payments from other clients' money to other clients. So in giving them small installments at the beginning or, or after the cases had been settled, was he convincing them that they were investing the money or like how was he convincing them that they didn't need to be receiving their paycheck all up front? Yeah, their settlement uh, disbursement. I mean, he would just say that he wouldn't either invest it for them or borrow directly. And that's not a Ponzi scheme. And a Ponzi scheme is when you're raising new money and you're paying people with new investors. This was, he already had these things on account and, and he would basically, he, he would get permission from the client to make payments you know, to them are interest payments, but if they ever called the loan or the, the term came up, then that's when he would start giving them a song and dance on a lot of occasions. And so it, when the Rugo Mies group from Axe Law Firm had him sign an $11 million judgment, um, a stipulated judgment that he defaulted on, and then they recorded liens everywhere, that was another bad turn for him because it went against his house um, and, and in fact, in the bankruptcy, there was just a settlement where there's going to be an 80-20 split of all those proceeds from the, the house. So they're going to get paid most of the money of his remaining assets. I mean, they're going to get a huge legal preference in their favor by wisely putting a lien on the property of Mr. Girardi before there was a, uh, before there was a um, bankruptcy filed and then 90 days had passed to avoid what's called a preference. Okay. So talk to me about Erica. How bad does it look for her being that she wasn't a practicing lawyer? She wasn't actively involved in any of these cases against the former clients. She's just his wife who I guess has joint property with him. Well, she only has their community property, his house and building She's not even on there. Um, he's had that house for a long time. I, I found a, a condo in Palm Springs once and a house in Malibu that she was on title. But it's weird that they never bought a lot of things together um, like normal married couples do. Uh, they, it seems she was off most everything, but her demeanor and attitude since this have been you know, beyond the pale of any sort of decent response to uh, I mean, if your husband lost everybody's money because he had Alzheimer's or he's a crook, what's the difference? Show some Compassion. sympathy to all these people. Yeah, but all she does is post stuff on her Twitter page with vulgar words and does the show like nothing ever happened and actually thinks this is a reality show. I mean, the reality is going to hit hard for her soon because people are going to she's going to be a, somebody's going to win a lawsuit you know, how, judgment against her. And then can, if it turns out that money was diverted to her, like I've uncovered in other matters, or she's got an assigned settlement payments, she's going to be in for a world of problems when the trustee starts suing her. So how complicit do you think that she was with all of this? Do you think that she was kind of just like the housewife that turned the other cheek and didn't want to ask questions and didn't really want to know anything? Or do you think she was a lot more aware of what Tom was doing with his clients prior to all of this coming out? I mean, I think, I think she was aware of uh, 
what of how they were spending their money. And uh, I don't, I mean, it's hard to say what she knew and what she didn't know, but she had to have seen this, the summonses come to the house. I mean, she had to have seen him stressed out about money. Uh, it, it's not like they were strangers for most of their marital life, but now she's playing dumb beyond belief. I mean, everybody's playing dumb or senile or some other excuse. I mean, nobody's just standing up and taking responsibility. Right. So with, so are her assets for, are her bank accounts frozen as well as Tom's or is it only his business accounts and personal accounts that are frozen? Well, they would only be frozen if there was a, um, joint account. I don't think her individual separate property accounts are frozen. Okay, so that's how she's able to still be living this lavish lifestyle that she's portraying on Twitter and on Instagram is probably through like her housewives money and her book deals, which I'm assuming didn't go into their joint account. I'm I'm assuming those went into her personal accounts or at least her own personal business account. Correct. That's correct. So if things do go south with Tom's health and they're not yet divorced, because we we see that she filed last year, but that process is probably not going to be resolved anytime soon. Is she responsible? No, there's a stay. There was a stay filed in it. Nothing's going on. And, and you know, she hired a lawyer that likes to bill out like crazy. So nothing's happened in that case yet. Is so she, Would she be responsible for paying off any of his debts? if they don't get divorced before all of these other cases start getting heard? Well, all the community proffers, all the community property uh, events. But any of like her personal assets, those wouldn't be pulled into this, even though they're married. They, they would if they were community property. They would. So how what how how do it you determine depends. what's how do you determine what's community money and what would be hers personally? You, you mean what would be well all the community property that they that both of them earned until the date of the divorce is going to be community property. Okay. So anything after the, her separation date and last I heard there wasn't a separation date listed in the divorce filings. What, um, what do you mean about there's a notice of stay in the divorce filings? Well, uh, last that I had heard when, when she'd filed for divorce, there wasn't an actual date listed in terms of when the separation had happened. There was the filing of the divorce, but I, from my understanding, you have to actually list when the separation occurred prior to the divorce filing, and, and that wasn't listed in her divorce documents. There wasn't a date of separation listed. There was in the in the in the in the actual petition there was a there was a date of separation, I, I believe. Okay. I mean, I, when, when did they get well I mean for sure it's gonna be the date of the um the filing. Of the filing of the divorce petition. But I mean I I could pull it up. I think I'll pull it up while we're talking. I'm just, almost sure there's a, a date of separation. I remember reading so I remember shortly before the, the yeah, I remember ahead. a couple of headlines had come out and said that there wasn't um, and, and this could be this could be incorrect, but that that's why they were thinking that she could potentially be concealing additional assets or money that she would be able to excuse as not community property because there wasn't yet a date of separation that was listed in the paperwork, uh, which wasn't standard. Yeah, you're you're correct. You're correct. I've refreshed my recollection. It said t- t- to be determined. Right. But I mean. The date of separation is going to be no later than November 30th, November 3rd, 2020. Which is when she filed. Yeah, which is when she filed. So, I mean, but I don't think the date of separation, the fact that they didn't really categorize it, we're we're just going to be talking a couple months. It's not going to be the end of the world. Right, right, right. So when it comes to the divorce, then because he has a conservator, how does that then like is the conservator the one that would then negotiate 
the divorce terms or like how does a divorce even move forward when the person that you're divorcing is no longer in their sound mind? Uh, well, the conservator, I mean, they would still, you would get a guardian ad litem in the divorce case to basically assist him. But the, the, the reason why the divorce is stalled is because of the bankruptcy of Tom Girardi. So the involuntary bankruptcy, there's an automatic stay. And I don't think they have the appetite to um, go remove the automatic stay right now. I don't think they care. So she's likely not going to be divorced anytime soon. Uh, a lot of times they get bifurcations. Uh, if she really wants to be divorced, she can get a bifurcation now. Uh, but she would need to get permission from the bankruptcy court to move forward for relief from the automatic stay. But they haven't done that yet. A lot of people are wondering if she would have to serve any time. They're comparing it to the Judice case from a few years ago with Teresa Judice and Joe Judice from the Real Housewives of New Jersey, where they both had to serve time. It's now looking like Tom might not be uh, processed. He might not have to face any criminal charges. Would she have to face any jail time potentially if things were to go south and end up it, other than paying people out? Would she have to serve jail time? Well, that well, she has to be charged criminally first, and that hasn't happened yet, right? No, it has not. So, um, we need to, we need to. Um, and what criminal charges first, that first has to happen? What could, what charges could she be facing potentially? Well, if she knowingly got money from him that was other people's money, she could be charged with aiding and abetting money laundering or conspiracy to commit money laundering, or she could be uh, aiding and abetting a fraud. It just depends on what, what she knew and didn't know. I mean, right now there, the evidence is still out, you know, undecided. And so if anything, she would likely be the one to be found guilty given his current medical um, medical status. She, if criminal charges were to move forward, obviously, if they can't get to him, I would assume they would then go after her and try to prosecute her, and she would likely be the only one that would have to face this. Well, for certainly on a on a civil level, she has much more exposure. But I don't know really what money she was entrusted with knowingly of clients. I. It, it all depends on conduct that that she did with respect to helping him move his money. Right now, we don't really know what happened. And so in order I mean, to, we would we would just be guessing. And in order to incriminate her, there would have to be like, I'm assuming some sort of like paper trail, like emails or text messages that would actually prove that she knew what was going on and that this money was um, money from clients that didn't receive their settlements. Yeah, like if all of a sudden, like right before his dementia, she got a 10 or $20 million wire from their trust account, it'd be very, from his firm trust account, it'd be very difficult for them to claim, you know, something. What about the, um, the loan? I believe it was about you know, 20. It would be, there was, yeah, a... it'd be difficult for her to claim lack of knowledge if she got some large transfer towards her. Now, I believe there was an accumulation of $20 million that was transferred to her EJ Global LLC, and that's where um, they think that some of the money, that's where some people or some reporters have speculated that money was laundered into her EJ Global company, and um, but they were written off as loans, correct? They were written off as... Um... I mean, again, I don't know where pe people have thrown that number around a lot. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know the source of that transfer. Uh, if they were written off as loans, it doesn't sound like a loan. But um, I don't know that, to the extent of how accurate those numbers are about what he did and didn't transfer. It, it, the, my review of their entire relationship does not show he bought a lot of stuff in, in her name with him. And what would be the benefit of him doing that? Well, if you come into a marriage with an existing house, 
Like he had that house since the seventies. Um, and, and you don't buy a new house with your spouse. It's going to remain that house. The original house of the spouse is going to remain separate property. So maybe he didn't want to run the risk of, since she was a younger wife of buying a new house in both their names and then they get divorced and she ends up keeping the house or half the house. He figured he had a house. It was a nice house, low property tax rate because it was, you know, frozen for because of prop 13 and he never put her on that. So like I said, they had a Malibu house once with Ryan Kavanaugh that they sold to him. And then they, they had another Palm Springs house that I saw, but nothing spectacular. Not like, I mean, for, for a guy that, had all this money, their houses did not reflect that type of income. Interesting. So what do you envision, if you could predict what you think may happen to the two of them, what do you think, how do you think this will all end up? Well, I think he's going to end up penniless, you know, and, and living on Social Security. Um, but, he, you know, he may avoid prison time. And I think she is going to um, find another guy or a partner somewhere because she, and make herself out to be the victim of all this and probably survive. I think she was a survivor before she met him and she's picked up a lot of tools of the trade and I think she'll do okay. But right now, whoever's running her public relations is doing a bad job, in my opinion. Well, I think the the new season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is taping, and from reports that have come out, and even from my own sources close to production, they say that she's talking about the case on camera, and she's being open. And I think my theory is she's probably trying to lay down the track work for gaining sympathy of, of, from the audience about you know how terrible their marriage was or how much she you know was deceived by him and she didn't realize how shady of a of a lawyer he actually was and she's going to use this platform as an opportunity to hopefully gain some public sympathy but i think like you said her twitter and her instagram posts just seem like she has zero remorse for you know not even saying that her husband did or didn't do anything but just not even being it's it's very tone deaf all the things that she's been posting considering all the the allegations against her husband yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, uh, I mean, I, I have the show set for taping. I'm going to analyze any statements that she makes. So I'll be all over that. I think it's next week. I think in four or five days is the first show. Yeah. And we'll see, we'll see what happens. I mean, um, I, I have been on reality shows, you know, million dollar listing. I made a cameo appearance once for a friend of mine that was on the show, but it's not like I don't like reality TV people. I, I like them a lot. Uh, they're funny. Um, they're, they're just different type of uh, talent. Um, but what I don't like is when these people, there's two things that there's three things I don't like. I don't like lawyers that steal from their clients or that give the public a bunch of BS thinking the only people that are going to call them out on it are lawyers. So I like, I, I don't, I like to call out lawyers that are sort of lying to the public about a lot of different things, including how they're treating their clients. Number one. And number two, um, I don't like people that go on the Beverly Hills housewives and they don't live in Beverly Hills because they give Beverly Hills a bad name yeah. and people that live in Beverly Hills are proud of where they live. It's a very friendly town and they don't need a bunch of, charlatans going on there and pretending that it's all about money and they don't care about people in Beverly Hills. So that's Beverly is a very diverse place. Not everybody is wealthy there. And um, everybody is, is nice to people. A lot of times for, for a big city, it's like a little oasis in the middle of Los Angeles. And then third, uh, what, what is also troubling is when these people go on the show and they, brag about their money, but yet they're living in the Valley, yeah. you know, in a much smaller, less expensive house, not in Beverly Hills, or that they have a bunch of judgments of people that they haven't paid or they own businesses where they're not paying, you know, workers or other people. And um, they're not the sort of flush 
people that they portray themselves. So sometimes if they feel like they want to mix it up with me, I like to call them out on it and point out that, you know, here's some judgments, here's some bankruptcies. And as you guys call it, you know, I, I throw, I spill the tea a little bit, yeah. but again, what people don't realize is I'm a very busy practicing attorney with a huge caseload. And so I laugh the hardest when people say, Oh, I'm tweeting so I can get my name out. It's the funniest. Those, those are the comments that make me laugh the most. Yeah. Um, because if you follow my page, it's at Ronald Richards. And, uh, I laugh when people do that because, um, it's, I don't get any business benefit from this, this uh, coverage, but I do get a lot of lawyers and people I know follow my tweet, my Twitter page and my feed because they like that. I, some of this, the stuff I get, an average person, they're not going to access the court docket or PACER or bankruptcy records or grantor grantee indexes they're not going to do deep dives that i do like quickly and get this stuff out there so people could read it nobody's going to do that that's not their job so that's why it's fun to do that because the public could see you know these people sometimes are big exaggerators and they're they, they can't even afford the houses they live in or their rentals right 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 yeah so that's why i do it because it's fun you know and uh and i and I wouldn't do it uh, really, but I get so many people writing me and thanking me, li literally like 98%. There'll always be like a crazy quote troll out there that just is just hates everything I post just for, because they're, um, they got some problem that I don't know, maybe who I'm posting about, they sick them on me. But, you know, ultimately if they're really disruptive, I mean, and I only have to do this in the rarest of occasions, I'll block them but I don't like to do that. I like to just respond to everybody and keep it civil. This yeah. is fun. You're talking about people that signed a contract that went on TV that said, you guys can investigate every aspect of my life. I can't sue you for defamation. I can't sue you for feeling bad. I can't sue you for intentional infliction of emotional distress. So what people don't realize before they go on these shows, they voluntarily sign their life away right. so they could be the punching bags of all of our discussion. That's what they signed up for. Do you, you know, do you think if I bash Eric and say, this is offensive and there's, she is so toned up. She's happy. I'm doing that because I'm talking about her. That's why who else would join a reality TV show and give up every right of privacy, every right of defamation and libel and slander unless they wanted this type of attention. Exposure. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, it's so, Speaking of, I did want to ask you because I saw on your Twitter account this morning, not that you, you, I was going through your Twitter account this morning, and I saw that you had mentioned Kyle Richards and her husband, Mauricio Umansky, who, um, who has the agency. And I saw that that was a new case that you were starting to follow. Can you give us the brief on what's going on with them? Because they've also uh, really well, dodged a lot of the, pre the bad press that's come their way when lawsuits have come up against the two of them. Yeah, I don't have any, you know, let me be clear. I have no animosity whatsoever toward either one of them. Uh, I do a lot of deals with that agency. Um, all I said simply is, hey, if, he's, if he doesn't get his case dismissed, I'm going to start covering it because it, does, it is interesting. And so, um, but, but, but basically, you know, and that, it's so complicated to kind of repeat that whole case, but I can tell you just generally – uh, basically the contention is he, he, he sold the house, uh, a piece of property, uh, for a client and then allegedly did not convey oral offers that were higher and then ended up going into business with the buyer of the property. And then he ended up settling with his former client and everybody else. The only people he's in litigation with now is the guy that he, allegedly uh, submitted the oral offer for. I mean, the whole thing is really nuts. Like one, you never tell anybody to do an oral offer in real estate. It's worth the paper it's written on. And two, you never go into business with the buyer if you sell your client's house and then flip the house for tens of millions more. Because right. 
optically someone's going to sue you or get mad. But again, I started covering it and was going to say, hey, let's see if the judge dismisses the case on a statute of limitations ground. He didn't. So now I'm covering that matter, you know, as it goes on to see what happens. I mean, he, Mauricio may settle it. You know, he may not want to deal with it. Right. Um, I don't know. But it, it, it was a, it was a shocking type series of events that led him into this. But again, like I said at the beginning of the broadcast, every good lawyer, even myself, you know, you sometimes overreach or you make a mistake or, right. you know, we're all human. Sometimes you just, you forget to do something and it happens and you got to own up to it and, and, and just own it. I mean, that it's okay to make a mistake here or there. And look, I think he, Mauricio regrets, I'm positive he regrets going into business with the buyer of a property that he sold. However, you know, he's fixed it. He's settling, he's working it. I mean, I, he's not going to do it again. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> it, it, so that's why, I mean, like I said, everybody that does a lot of transactions could always, you make the wrong call. I mean, so many times if you're busy, you just make a mistake. It just happens. And sometimes it goes the wrong direction. So, um, but I've covered things. I've covered Lisa Vanderpump, but then a lot of people didn't like that. I covered her um, because I guess she has a lot of popular. So I stopped, I, I took down the stuff on her because they felt it was picking on her for no reason. And, they were very polite about it. So I just stopped, you know, like if I get, if I'm covering something and a lot of people who I think approach us in a civil and courteous manner. And they, they say, look, don't cover this. There's no valid news story here. No basis. I'll consider that. I would never want someone to think I'm just picking on them because they're easy to pick on. Right. And I, know. I assume Erica Jane hasn't politely reached out to you. No, but I can't with Erica because Erica is, is a central figure uh, in this. And if she did, if she reached out to me and said, look, um, please stop covering me because I didn't know any of this and I'll sit down and talk to you for 20 minutes and go on record. Uh, or, or let me just tell you why I haven't hired a lawyer. Why, and it made sense to me. I would stop and I would just post. I spoke with Erica. She made some compelling arguments. I mean, I'm not unreasonable. Right. Like, I don't need to use my specialized skill set. I never would want it to come across as being a bully. But I, but I mean, sometimes getting the goods on people, it, 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 you have to, it, it just comes across that way. Right. But like I said, um, I think she's way too into this and she's still getting payments on a case I know about that a settlement was assigned to her and she never returned that. Interesting. What case was that? That was a case uh, that I, I put, it's on my feed. I redacted it, but a case where David Lear, uh, Girardi's son-in-law and his, and Girardi's daughter and Erica Jane are getting these assigned payments on a case that a court approved for the next five years. And it's weird that they're getting those payments. I got to tell you, like, it makes no sense why they'd be getting them. But, um, you know, I have, I have that on there. Um, it's on there. Interesting. Well, you have a great Twitter account. Um, everybody needs to go and give it a follow. It's at Ronald Richards on Twitter, which you're always spilling that tea. You've been keeping me up to date with everything that's going on with Tom and Erica. Now we have Kyle and Mauricio. Possible, well, I guess it doesn't look like there's going to be any more Lisa Vanderpump stuff, but I, you have a lot of really good information on your Twitter account, and I think everybody needs to go and follow it again. It's at Ronald Richards. Is there anything else you want to share or you want to promote before we close on out that you want to direct people to go check out? Um, well, I don't, I don't, let me just be clear. I don't quote promote things. I think that I just want, I don't want people to go to at Ron Richards because I've had, you know, a lot of this people just make a mistake. I, it's Ronald Richard, Ronald. you know, that because sometimes just people call me Ron, but I just, I just give the correct account. I, tr all my stuff is legit. It's pulled from real records. Um, and it's never intended to hurt anybody's feelings. And we appreciate all the comments and we try to adjust, but remember it is my Twitter page and I get to pick the content right. and I, and I kind of know who's listening and who's watching. And I, I try to, adapt to that audience, but I like all the comments. Again, I think I get, I have real smart people following me 
that I appreciate they're taking the time to read the stuff I post. I, I really do. It's a cathartic, relaxing experience. And I want to thank you, Zach, for taking the time to reach out to me to be on your podcast. It means a lot to me. Uh, I think your questions were concise and astute and sensitive, and I appreciate it. And I think that your viewers will enjoy you know, the content. And that's what it's all about is getting people some interesting content while they're working out, driving to work, or they want to sit home and not play on the internet and actually listen to something that professional people, meaning you're the professional interviewer and I'm the professional highly trained lawyer. We're talking about things that are interesting to people. Absolutely. We're putting the content out that they want to consume and allowing them to devour it from here on out. Exactly. All right. We'll have a great uh, afternoon and uh, we'll, uh, I'll look forward to uh, getting a, uh, this matter sent over and we'll, let's make sure we try to do this on a regular basis, do a refresh whenever yeah, I would some love more to. events come up. I would love to. Thank you so much, Ronald, again, for, for calling in. Everyone, please go and follow at Ronald Richards on Twitter. It's a great account. All the latest news that's coming out with these cases, Ronald is tweeting about them and breaking it down on his Twitter account. So go and give it a follow. Um, it's one of the sources that I love to use. I'm going to be covering the Girardi, Keese, Erica Girardi, Erica Chahoy, Erica Jane drama that will continue to unfold, especially as the new season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills comes out. So stay tuned. If you want, you can give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. Don't forget to follow the show at No Filter with Zach and subscribe to hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter on all podcast platforms. You can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all the places. And you can watch exclusively on your Roku devices and on YouTube. You can watch the show. So be sure to subscribe there as well. Leave me a five-star review because yes, I am a millennial and yes i do love that validation and one more time please don't forget to follow at ronald richards on twitter and get ready lots more tea to be spilled i will talk to you next week bye